0: History. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And we like to bring you Weird Comics History every week on the podcast for Weird Science DC Comics blog.blogspot.com. And this week, what do we have? The British are coming. The British are coming. This is all about the British invasion of comics, which was largely centered around DC Comics in the 80s. And uh, we don't only have to set you, this took place in the 80s. That's when it was. So just think of that decade and you will be right in the right place. So why don't you set it off?
1: Yeah, it's, it's so many of the things, so many of the, like, seminal 80s stories that you, you think about when you picture DC Comics is, uh, it, there's, there's going to be a, a British fella behind it.
0: Most likely, um, you know, the biggest, <laughs> the award-winning stories, you know, aside from Dark Knight Returns. It's, uh, yeah, I
1: was going to say, outside of Frank Miller, it's, uh, it's you know, it's it's a it's a choice group of guys.
0: Yeah, for um, sure.
1: Yeah, we have, uh, you know, we have uh, the British artists were uh, were also part of the uh, part of the package and uh, came in a little bit uh, earlier, like yeah. uh, like Brian Boland. Um, for sure. Now I I knew Boland mostly for his uh, his incredibly detailed covers on on stuff like Animal Man and even like the Jeff Johns run on Flash. Yep, and
0: uh, and he was still always... he still does cover work also even today. He does.
1: He yeah. did Dial H, I believe. Right. He did. Yep. Yeah, I was uh, surprised to find that, I was disappointed to find that he really didn't do a whole lot of interiors. No, uh, Uh,
0: to my memory, I I really never read his UK stuff, but we actually talked about it last week when hmm. he worked with uh, Len Wein on Green Lantern, which we're actually going to get into very soon right now, but uh, that that was incredible to me. I love those interiors, and it it really struck me as being probably the best comics art out at the time.
1: Yeah, and I, I think he's almost he's almost a victim of his talent. Uh, he uh, he also did the uh, the series Camelot three thousand with Mike Barr. Yep. And uh, as that series, it was a twelve issue miniseries, and as that drew on, there were uh, longer and longer delays between issues. Um, I think uh, the between issues eleven and twelve, there was almost an entire year. Wow. Between the release, and uh, doing a little bit of digging on that, it was uh, due to him wanting to. Uh, Maintain his high level of quality. It was like he was almost never satisfied with his work, and uh, it's a, that's very interesting to think about.
0: You can see that it's it's super heavily detailed work too. You know, I mean, he's not he's not dashing off these pages. The the uh, faces and the articulation—it's just unbelievable.
1: Yeah, yeah, so much so much line work, but not like in that '90s way.
0: No, not at all. <laughs> very very controlled line work. You know, absolutely very controlled shading.
1: Yeah, and uh, recently uh, in the uh, Justice League 3000 book, they kind of folded Camelot 3000 into the DC uni-
0: universe. Yeah, that was strange. Um, they went to yeah. the Planet's name was Camelot Nine or something like that.
1: Yeah, and they, that's where they that's where they maintained their base. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen post Rebirth, but uh, it's interesting that it, that they actually took a bit of their history and and, and brought it forward.
0: Yeah, uh, that that comic tried a lot of things. <laughs> it did. It, it, that's
1: a that's a thing with uh, some Keith Giffen books. Uh, it seems like the editors don't really pay attention, and he could just blow up the Earth if he wanted to. And yeah. uh, three months later, they'd be like, "Wait, what happened to Earth?"
0: He, get, he gets a weird dispensation. <clears throat> uh, but for, as for Brian Boland, uh, Brian Boland, I'm sorry, he was uh, he really kicked off the whole British invasion because he met Joe Staten at mm-hmm. uh, Comic Con in the UK in 1979, and Joe Staten actually stayed with him in order to work on some Green Lantern books he was writing at the time. And seeing Brian Boland's work, he got him hooked up with DC. Frankly, I was really unclear this exact connection, but this seems to be the genesis that started the ball rolling for other artists and other writers to come through uh, across the pond. Uh, but who was the next guy?
1: Oh, before we move on, just one more thing. Uh, perhaps uh, Boland's most uh, famous or even infamous work is uh, his his team up with Alan Moore for uh, the 1988 Killing Joke.
0: Yeah, you
1: know that's uh, a point of contention even now, uh, where uh, I, I I don't I gotta admit I don't follow current Batgirl. But uh, I know that there's some sort of a nebulous uh,
0: nature of this story present. Oh yeah, it's uh, you can definitely hear all about that on the Weird Science DC Comics Blog <laughs> podcast. That's been a, a common topic. I did a recollection about that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but it's funny you mention that because one of the one of the contentions about that graphic novel and an important thing to remember is this was a graphic novel, even in its an original state. Yes. It, it was. An, it was a what do they call it a premium size, prestige 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 format. That's right. Uh, It was a paperback at first. Now you can get it in hardback. But uh, knowing the meticulousness of Brian Boland and how carefully he is with every line, how much time he takes, uh, one of the contentions is that Barbara Gordon was raped in the book. And there's nothing visually or story-wise to really indicate that. To
1: back that up, yeah. I don't... That's uh, one of the things I don't I don't understand where that comes from. i, I I'd so I'd never
0: have... heard it until I got until I started uh, uh, working with the comics internet, and mm-hmm. I read it again. And it's it's the kind of thing where you could make that leap because there's there's a period there where the Joker has Barbara Gordon in a prone state. Anything could happen. He could have put a clown nose and makeup on her. You know, <laughs> he could he could anything could you know he could have beaten her with a pipe but there's nothing to indicate that that happened. And I feel like no. Brian Boland would have made it very clear if, if that yeah. had happened.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm not sure there's anything in... Uh, uh, I mean, the Joker has very many... He's got a lot of different incarnations depending on who's writing him, but I don't think he's ever been portrayed as a sexual
0: sadist. No, he's, he's not a sexual predator, you know? I'd say the no. sexiest he got might have been kind of Frank Miller's David Bowie yes. Joker. <laughs> but even then, it was all sort of played up to be... Uh, just uncomfortable, you know, just kind of creepy. Yeah. But anyway, that's definitely way off topic. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Next guy I want to talk about is Dave Gibbons, born 1949 in London, England. Self-taught artist, fan of comics since age seven. He was friendly with Brian Ballon when they went to art school, and they actually did art for the very first issue of 2000 AD in 1977. Uh, And uh, this is where I'm not positive what happened, uh, Mm -hmm. but he was recruited by Len Wein to draw... Tales of the Green Lantern Corps. Um, I guess that happened through this Brian Boland connection. Uh, Brian Boland was doing covers for that. Yes. So I'm not, I'm not really positive how, how it all worked out, but that's uh, how it ended up. And he did a lot of work with Alan Moore over the years as well. Uh, we're kind of putting the cart before the horse in a way <laughs> here. But Alan Moore will loom very large in this invasion. Uh, yes. One of my favorite stories was for the man who has everything with the Black Mercy. Yes, um, you can get that in Alan Moore's best DC stories, Alan Moore, or probably other best it's of also, Super, Superman stories.
1: Yeah, it's in the the, the the greatest Superman stories ever told, Volume One.
0: It's it's a really worthwhile, and then a little book you might have heard of called Watchmen. What? Yeah, so it's just a little a little <laughs> small little book that came out that has never been, never been out of print, and you can buy in probably six different uh, formats today. Uh, that was Dave Gibbons and Alan Moore worked together. Another one that took a long time yes. to, to complete. It, it started out it started out strong. I'd say the first four, maybe five issues, and then those last seven issues, boy, whew, we waited a long time for those. <laughs> but you can get that obviously together if you don't have it. And then the uh, third guy we want to talk about is...
1: That's uh, Steve Dillon. Um, a fella that, uh, he was out of uh, Luton, Bedfordshire. Mm-hmm. He was born in 1962.
0: I really wanted um, to say all these weird... <laughs> British town names. That's why they're here.
1: Yeah, it's making my tongues twist. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he, he, when I think of him, I, I, I generally think of his uh, Marvel work. Yeah, which uh, which came much later, of course. But uh, he drew uh, some anthology comics for uh, 2008. Just like a lot of the lot of the fellows we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. and uh, also uh, Warrior, which was a uh, another anthology magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, did some Hulk weekly UK and Nick Fury for Marvel UK in the late 70s and uh probably best known for his art on uh, two vertigo titles Hellblazer and uh Preacher done by uh, Jamie Delano and Garth Ennis uh, respectively. yeah And uh he is a uh, frequent uh collaborator with uh with uh, Garth Ennis uh taking on a lot of his uh Punisher worked during the mid two thousands, uh, mid to early and mid two thousands actually, uh, all through the last fifteen or sixteen volumes of that book.
0: Wow, it's a long run.
1: <laughs> yes, no, I'm I'm, I'm being facetious. Oh, it just okay. seems like it just seems like there's two or three Punisher number ones a year.
0: That's pretty much the uh, you know he. I think that's the team people. A lot of people, at least I think of when I think of Punisher, yes, as being absolutely. the core. Even though Punisher's a lot older character than that run. Uh, but what I found interesting doing research about this is Steve Dillon and some of the writers too. They worked for Marvel UK, and yet there was no, you know, it's Marvel UK. Really, I think was a different entity. I don't think there was yeah. ever really any collusion. But there was no cross
1: pollination. It seemed which it is was, which uh, is
0: unusual. You would think they would they would be looking around sniffing around for you know? Yeah, it's as though other, they're ignoring artists. You know?
1: Yeah, it's like they're ignoring their own bullpen. It's very strange.
0: Well. Uh, on the DC side of things, uh, Len Wein. This is where I'm kind of making an assumption, but after Staten and Boland became friendly, DC started looking at other UK talent, and it started with Len Wein hiring Alan Moore to write Swamp Thing in 1984 after seeing his work for Marvel UK in 2000 AD, which also included V for Vendetta. It would have been in, uh, would that, that have been that in was warrior? In War- that was in Warrior. That was yes. in Warrior. Yeah, but he so he saw that work, and I think he said this is something special. Uh, Swamp Thing at the time had been resurrected. Len Wein actually created Swamp Thing with Bernie Wrightson. Uh, it had been resurrected for the movie, sort of, right around 1982. But it wasn't doing a lot. I can't remember who wrote it before. Alan Moore. I can't either. Uh, was I, it, I uh, was it, it Len Wein? I don't think it was. I think he was an editor at that time. And he, I, mean, I could be wrong. Maybe he did edit it uh, and write it. But it, it was really it was boring as hell. It was more, you know, uh, almost like Swamp Thing as a secret agent. And uh, Alan Moore... Took that and just turned the whole thing on its head, removed any hope of humanity from Swamp Thing and made him a much bigger character than he had ever been before. It was always a very weird title. Yes. But it was not what it became. Uh, yeah, so It
1: wasn't it, sophisticated yet.
0: It definitely was not suggested for mature readers. No. Uh, After Moore revamped the character Swamp Thing, he wrote his own ticket at DC for a time, writing one-off stories for several titles, including Superman and Green Arrow, and then the floodgates have opened let's meet our british invaders or at least some of them since we can't go on and on
1: yeah i i you know i, I think it's uh it would be improper to do anyone before alan Moore.
0: no um, he would be he's the number one
1: he is the uh he is the guy
0: the sure. straw that serves the drink as they say
1: absolutely and uh he was uh born in 19, 1953 and uh he lived in a uh like a worker section of uh, northampton mm mm-hmm. Um, got married in 1973. Took an office job for the Gas Council. If you can imagine that, yeah, which is like um,
0: something that happens in England. You have a guess, different <laughs> yes. councils, and that's one of them.
1: And uh, he uh, he quit to uh, start writing and actually drawing his own comics, um, uh, including let's see here Saint Pancras Panda. Uh-huh. I, I'd never heard of this. So I guess it's a satire on Paddington Bear, which is another uh, UK creation. Yep. And uh, Maxwell the Cat. I think he also did uh, like Doctor Something and Quinch or there something. Was,
0: there was there was there were a few weird uh, satiristic comics. I kind of plucked these out also because I was a huge Paddington Bear fan as a kid. Yes. Uh, little, <laughs> but I, I've actually never seen these comics. I'd love to take a look at them. I'm sure you could get a peek at some oh, sure. some versions online.
1: And uh, he did some work for uh, 2000 AD, like uh, like most of the fellas did, and also a uh, magazine called Warrior. It was a uh, black and white magazine that I actually was able to happen across a few uh, a few issues of at a uh, at a used bookstore out here. Oh yeah, and oh, it's it's such a such an interesting uh, time capsule. Looking at this, uh, seeing the original V for Vendetta
0: and, uh, and Marvel Man as well. Oh really? Did um, you have issues with those in there? Yes,
1: yes. Awesome. I've got the the actual magazines, but they unfortunately have a price tag that I'm not able to take off of it. Oh uh, well. <laughs> Yeah, so I I'll deal I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he uh like we we were saying, he he created FIFA Vendetta and he also revitalized Marvel Man uh which we now know as Miracle Man due yeah. to the due to the Marvel uh lawsuit or whatever they had. Uh and I guess that's currently being published through Marvel now.
0: Yeah, I think they ran through all of Alan Moore's <clears> and now they're getting into
1: They're into the, the gaming game Buckingham one, yeah. Run, yeah. Um and as you said earlier he came on to do uh, swamp thing and uh created a, another little known character that uh, was never seen again named uh, John Constantine.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of people forget that that that's was his origin was in uh, the pages of swamp thing and now he's his own powerhouse, you know, had his own television yep. show and all that.
1: Yeah, and uh he also wrote the final pre-crisis superman story. Which is uh, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow? It was uh, it ran in the last issue of Superman before it turned into Adventures of Superman, uh-huh. and uh, also in an issue of Action Comics before John Byrne took over and made it a uh, team-up title for a little while. Yeah, um, and he put out like we were saying, he put out Watchmen with Dave Gibbons over '85 uh, and '86. Which, uh, I'm sure a lot of people know this was originally intended to be the uh, the acquired Charlton characters you yeah. know, like, uh, Blue Beetle, uh, uh Captain Adam, uh, Judo Master.
0: Yeah, you can, and, al- you uh, can almost see the, 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 uh, the comparisons, yeah. exactly, you know, the you know, Doctor Manhattan is to Captain, is the Adam, Captain Adam or Adam.
1: Certainly. And, uh, unfortunately uh they uh had a bit of a falling out uh, he he's had a falling out with uh both of the uh the big publishing houses uh at least the western ones For sure. and uh and states he will uh, never work with them again and thus far uh, he's held up pretty good. outside of uh DC's uh early 2000s acquisition of his america's best comics yeah uh, he's he's held he's he's held firm to that
0: but that was almost a back door Trick, you know what I mean? Like he was—he was publishing through Wildstorm. They acquired Mm -hmm. Wildstorm. It's almost—I think he described it as like a girlfriend he couldn't get rid of, yes. uh, Because DC just kind of kept knocking at his door. It's—I mean, I I, I give a lot of credit to Alan Moore for holding fast to his principles. (laughs) Uh, I think you know, to have principles like that is rare in anywhere.
1: Yeah, you usually, usually you follow the. And I mean, he's even gone as far as taking his name off a project he's worked on. Absolutely, uh, I yeah. Don't I don't think he's I don't think he's accepted any money for any of the film adaptations either.
0: No, not since uh, he actually he actually did sign off on the first League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and that's what I understand. You know, steered him away from supporting any further adaptations of his work. I don't blame gotcha. him. That, that adaptation was an abomination.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I've yet to uh, see it, and I very likely won't. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'd say a, there's not really one adaptation of his work that's worth really checking out. Uh, yeah, but you know, I mean, this is a guy he turned away a lot of money.
1: Yeah, uh, he even had a for the recent uh, Miracle Man publication through Marvel. They weren't allowed to put his name on it. That's right. They we, had to uh, write the by the author. original right. original author. Yeah, which yeah, it's hard to it's hard to even imagine
0: that. It is, uh, you know, we just don't. I don't think that. Most of us, or most people, are cut from that same cloth. Now that, that that all being said, obviously we don't know what happens. What conversations have got on behind closed doors exactly? We can't no. really, you know, speculate. We, yeah. yeah, we can only speculate. But you know, his issue, for example, with Watchmen—that you know, once it went out of print, that he would get his characters back and be able to do what he wants with them. Um, who who else do you expect to print that? you know like exactly. what, what what do you want to happen i mean it's it's been printing now for 30 years three, much. Decades. Yeah, yep. 3 decades yeah 3 decades non stop and it's 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 routinely at the top of the best selling graphic novels list even today you oh yeah. no, i mean it, so what was the, what was your plan but anyway yeah. <laughs> that's that's all speculation uh, I, I do think alan Moore does unbelievable work even today i pretty much check for any any of his work when it's uh hits the stands and sure and this whole British uh, thing started with him. So, uh, next guy we want to talk about is Neil Gaiman, who uh, we just touched on having picked up the Miracle Man run after Alan Moore. Uh, he was born in 1960 in Portchester, Hampshire. And I found out something I didn't know. He comes from a family of Scientologists. Did That's you know that?
1: No, I, I hadn't the foggiest idea.
0: His sister is like a big deal in the LA Scientologist community. Really? Yeah, apparently his his stance is That's his family's religion. That's not his religion, which I think is fair. Sure, I think a, a lot of us can say that our you know parents are Catholic and we're not or whatever it is you know. But uh, I just thought I'd throw that out there, just to you know, in case people want to either look at him differently or maybe look <laughs> at him more appreciably. I don't know what the hell that makes you feel, but that's
1: it's it's an interesting tidbit nonetheless. A little
0: fact about Neil Gaiman uh, began doing journalistic work for music and lifestyle magazines in 1980. Wrote his. His first book was a biography of Duran Duran in 1984. Uh, Interesting. His first ever published work. Uh, saw a copy of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing in 1984. There it is. You know, That mm-hmm. sort of kicks everything off. And he became friends with Moore and was able to pick up uh, Marvel after Moore finished his run probably to go do work for DC. Uh, DC hires Game in 1987 to write the Black Orchid miniseries which is drawn by uh, Dave McKean in a very like Watercolory kind of dank style. You ever seen that comic?
1: Yes. Yeah, I've I've got. I've, I think I have that entire run. It's a very uh, very dream state. It's, yeah. Uh, it's it's McKeen's good stuff. Yeah.
0: Definitely, and it, it does sort of harken to what you're going to see in Sandman down the line, which I'm again going getting ahead of myself. <laughs> uh, Vertigo edit, editor Karen Berger, based on Black Orchid, uh, tasked him with reinventing Sandman, which is. Arguably, but almost inarguably, the biggest uh, Vertigo book ever. Um, it,
1: it's still what you think of when you picture Vertigo. You you still picture Sandman.
0: I mean, and the spinoffs. I mean, his his run is oh, I don't know probably a. Right around hundred issues or something, right it's there. sixty-six. Okay, it's sixty-six issues. But
1: he's done. He's also done uh, spin-offs and uh, and miniseries. I that, mean, that yeah, you
0: got the Death, the High Cost of Living. Then there was a Lucifer one, and there was. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Uh, even recently, there was something on Vertigo called the Dead Boy Detectives. Yes, and that was based on just like two, you know. Small characters, characters, tiny characters. Uh, You know, Sandman's a series I stayed away from at first. I kind of penned it as like a gothic girl series. Uh, I'm the same way, Yeah, Yeah, but I went back in my uh, early 20s, uh, read the whole thing in trade, and it's it's a brilliant series. If you're a fan of story structure, uh, literature, you don't need to know a ton about literature, but it's helpful to know a little bit about Shakespeare even. Uh, But it's just well-written, carefully written,
1: Stuff. Oh, it's it's yeah. it's very it's it's dense and breezy at the same time. It's, yeah. it's such a such a strange book to read, because you're getting so much information, but it, the way it's paced and the way he crafts it, it, it it's not a chore. It's just
0: it's yeah. it's so every weird. piece is important later on. Absolutely. You know? So you get a lot of payoff of all these little scenes, all these little one-offs. Uh, it's such a long series; it has one-offs, you know. It's even yeah. has issues where there, you know, Sandman isn't even in them. Uh, do you do you remember? I, I can't remember this. If this started as a DC comic that became it Vertigo, did. it was a it DC did.
1: comic for the first uh, I want to say like dozen issues. Yeah, it, this was part of that that proto mature, you know, not not quite Vertigo, but not quite you know, uh, Hey Kids Comics type of a type of a book in the mid in the late eighties.
0: Yeah. It, uh, I thought so too because he meets, you know, he deals with the Justice League. He meets Martian Manhunter. Yeah, I think he uh, gives them Oreos. Actually, he gives he gives him some Chuckos, you know. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Doctor and, and Destiny is a big thing. Although, even even throughout the series, uh, House of Mystery and the House of Secrets are all part of it. So it's there's part of me that says it never let, leaves the DCU, or maybe the DCU, maybe the Dream World, let's say, is bigger than the it DCU, be, yeah. so that so it incorporates the DCU as well as every other. Reality, but that's you know for you to decide, for you to read yeah. and decide. Yeah, and and Arth- Arth- oh, I'm sorry. I
1: was I was going to say because even uh, the character of Death has made uh, sporadic appearances in you know even even action comics. Uh, that's back true. Right before the New Fifty Two, she met up with Lex Luthor. That's I mean, true. It's, yeah. uh, so it's it's in there, but it's it's kind of on the periphery.
0: You know, I, I always feel like you know when it's convenient, they they'll use it. That's really yes. that's the answer. And our third and probably most contentious, not even British, author no. is
1: the the Scottish Grant Morrison. That's right. Um, I have a thing with Grant Morrison where my two of my very favorite writers are him and peter david and it's usually it usually is all based on whoever i read last <laughs> it's, uh, so if i if i read an issue with doom patrol morrison's my favorite guy if i read you know a Supergirl or uh, or a spider-man 2099 it's okay right. peter david's my guy um let's see he started his life uh, he had his, he's a musician uh, he uh had a band called the mixes yeah uh, mixers and uh submitted some writing um uh, he even submitted a pitch uh, to DC that uh, would uh, focus on the JLA and the New Gods, and uh, was uh, rejected or not even looked at. We we don't know
0: yet. Yeah, I have a feeling um, they didn't even bother. But
1: no, I, I don't think they really looked at uh, unsolicited uh, pitches. Uh, yeah, pitches. Even, yeah, and then uh, he uh, did uh, you know the same all as the other guys. Uh, you know, 2008 A.D., um, he created uh, a character called Zenith That uh, recently came back into print um, They did a four uh, a four Volume hardcover set From uh, Rebellion or 20 AD Oh, I do not
0: know and,
1: uh, Yeah, because a, a, a year before that They did a uh, They did a limited print run on it That was like several hundred dollars and uh, they finally came out and uh, were able to work out all the rights and they did, uh, you know, a four book series. Oh. And uh, it, I, I, I recently went through it. It's it's a it's it, I, I hate using the word British as an ad, adjective in this case, but it's a very British book, <laughs> or a very uh, European, Western European book. Um, it's, you know, it's a very early look at the superhero as celebrity concept that yeah. is fairly you know common these days, but I don't think it was back then. And uh, the character was—he was not a likable guy. He was a spoiled, bradish, petulant character, and uh, just very odd for a for a story's
0: lead. For sure, uh, yeah. I think you would say that this is definitely the beginnings of what now is common—the deconstruction of this of comic book superheroes and those tropes. Yeah. This is really this is really the beginnings of it. You don't you don't see that before this, except maybe in the pages of Mad Magazine.
1: Certainly, you certainly, know? the most so. satirical. Where this is. This is actually a narrative, and, uh, you know, Morrison, He's a lot of his early work was fairly controversial, like, uh, didn't he have, like, My Neighbor Hitler, or, like, Hitler on a bicycle, or, it was some very strange book that he wrote, (laughs) and he also had uh, St. Swithin's Day, which I recently came into uh, possession of a copy of, which is based on a young man who's trying to kill Margaret Thatcher, Mm. and that's the entire story. Wow. so, yeah, he uh, really never shied away from, you know, pushing the
0: envelope. For sure. Controversy follows uh, Grant yes. Morrison, and he, <laughs> he courts it as well.
1: Yes, absolutely. And uh, he, uh, caught, he finally caught the eye of DC, and they had him pitch some stories, including uh, uh, one of his, you know, more popular early runs, uh, Animal Man, Yep, which uh, introduced some uh, metatextual uh, type of a... Type of a For sure. Yeah, uh, it was
0: brilliant for the time. Uh, you know, the, this idea kind of turning the crisis on its ear and showing the fallacy of it in a, in a way, using a character that no one could give a crap about. You know, well,
1: he was part of the forgotten heroes,
0: definitely. Yeah. Uh, okay. So and, uh, it, it was brilliant in its way.
1: Yeah, went through went through limbo. Met uh, you know uh, heroes that were pushed off the side of the road. I remember and, uh, he,
0: he met he met the. Uh, uh, what do they call the Inferior Five? He met that yep. guy.
1: He even met uh, Angel Love.
0: That's right. <laughs> Angel of the Ape.
1: And uh, he also met Grant Morrison. That's um, right. Who was known as the writer. Uh, and they had a you know touching scene until I think John Ostrander realized that uh, Grant Morrison was now a character in the DC Universe and killed him in an issue of Su- Suicide Squad.
0: Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, Grant also wrote uh, Arkham Asylum. Uh, a Serious House on Serious Earth with uh, the fellow we mentioned before, Dave McKean. Yep. And it uh, was a very fortuitous timing there because it was right around the time of the, uh, the 1989 Tim Burton film. So uh, I think a lot more eyes got on Morrison's work than would have otherwise.
0: I agree, definitely. I think it probably was better positioned than even Dark Knight Returns. Although, oh, absolutely. Although that did very well, but, you know... Sir- uh, also, because the artwork in uh, Sirius House* and Sirius Earth* is almost like going through a museum—a lot of mixed media. Uh, yeah. The story, frankly, doesn't, in my mind, doesn't hold up to what it did when I first read it. But you know, the artwork, the print—you know—it's just a luxury book. You know, it's like kind of a feast for the senses. Yes. So, I think it probably had a lot of crossover into people that don't normally buy comics.
1: Yeah, it was it was a it was a comic for folks who don't read comics. Yeah. it was a, it was it was beautiful and terrifying to look at.
0: And kind it of made him uh, rich. Let me tell you, Ooh. that's that's what he says. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, he also did work for Vertigo, including uh, several runs on uh, the Invisibles. Yep. Which uh, I suppose was I, rumor has that was a reason why he left DC to begin with uh, when he went over to Marvel in the uh, around the turn of the century because, I guess he saw the uh, Matrix films as cribbing a lot of his. Ideas from the Invisibles, Huh. and uh, they were all wa- under the Warner Brothers umbrella. And I think that was the that was one of the rumors at the time when he left
0: DC. I could see that. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, the you know the concepts in the Matrix aren't exactly the most they're not novel concepts. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, th- thinking about it now, the Invisibles definitely did have some of that. You know, this is not your. This is not real type of. You know yeah. uh stuff that going on and and, and, yeah. and circumventing reality and sort of going in the behind the reality world to do your dirty business uh, I can't believe you, you I know you also have a magnificent seven version of the JLA uh, mm-hmm. which I loved his run on JLA and all-star Superman which may be the top best ever Superman story
1: yes yeah, was uh... definitely
0: there's, there, there's debate there's debate there but this one routinely lands on everyone's favorite lists.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was beautiful to read, beautiful to look at. Um, that was Frank
0: Quitley, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a perfect storm, and uh, yeah, it was it was a like a Silver Age story told in modern times, and it and it worked somehow.
0: Big time. I, that, that's yeah. a, a high recommendation for anyone. But I can't believe I didn't put my favorite thing he ever did on here, which would have been mm. Doom Patrol.
1: Doom Patrol. I don't that's,
0: know why I, that, I, I, that, know why I <laughs> left that off. It's like hello. That was I
1: know I was looking for it while we were talking here, and uh, yeah, that. Uh, I, I try to read through that run once a year.
0: I'd say it's that's a, about yeah. I, I do. I go through that about once a year. I love it. It's uh, quirky, fun. It's emotional. Yeah, uh, you got to check it out the artwork. You, you know, you got to you got to get into kind of a late eighties nineties head. Yeah, because that was Richard Case. Yeah, and yeah. I, very very unusual. Not not bad. It's all there. The technicals are all there, but it's not what you expect to see when you open up. Your average comic book.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost flat, but like purposely so.
0: I'd say so. It's it's it is. It's very it's very weird. I love that run. I'd say. Oh, it's beautiful. Well, yes. Most people would say that's the best run on Doom Patrol. I'd probably be inclined to agree with them. That's um, what Arnold Drake said as well. He said yeah, he said that that was the only one that really captured his that got it right. He got yeah. it right. His initial vision. And if you read Arnold Drake's run, it's also very quirky in, in similar, but not as esoteric ways. You know. Uh,
1: yeah, a little less Dada, in the
0: drink. <laughs> I <Yeah>. would <was> say.
1: <laughs> Literally and figuratively.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, anyway, I love that, and, uh, that's that's pretty much the top three British uh, writers that we wanted to talk about for the invasion. But there are many, many more that came yeah. across the pond around this time, including uh, Jamie Delano or Delano for Hellblazer, Peter Milligan who did Shade, the Changing Man, Warren Ellis who did Trans Transmetro- Metropolitan, and Garth Ennis who did Preacher and the Boys. And I didn't mention uh, James Robinson. That's true. Right, he would have yeah. been. He, he did Starman among many things. he did, oh,
1: other he did things. that excellent run
0: on Starman. Uh, he would have also kind of been at the tail end of this, but he, I would lump him in with the uh, British people that came in.
1: Almost oh, certainly, yes. Uh,
0: Vertigo itself became an almost nearly Brits only imprint at DC. It seemed like if you were British, you could make a comic there. Uh, <laughs> right up until about Why the Last Man, it seemed like only Brits were allowed. Um, yeah. And. That- uh,
1: I know a lot of a lot of them were uh, were very very sad when uh, when they yanked Hellblazer from the uh, from the, the publishing schedule. There because time, yeah. I think a lot of uh, a lot of up and comers and even some of the uh, veterans in the industry saw that as something of a rite of passage. Yeah. For uh, for for
0: British pros. And uh, you'll you'll never get your hands <laughs> on it again, you you filthy <laughs> Brits. Uh <Yep>. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, it's worth saying that the, these books exploited the direct market. Uh, we talk about the direct market. Our third episode, I think we've talked about the direct market. Yes, in all three of them now. And but it's important and, to say that that's the reason these comics could exist was because the having the comics code authority symbol approval was not important for these comics.
1: Yeah, it would have hurt them.
0: <laughs> yeah, so they 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 we we talked about it. We kind of mentioned it before DC started putting suggested for mature readers on the cover, and they tick off the. Approved by the Comics Code Authority stamp, and uh, that couldn't have happened if it was all newsstand publishing. Um, And also, these guys brought, you know, when people talk about the darkening of comics and how comics are very dire and and, uh, deep now, it really is these guys that kicked that off. Um, You know, Frank Miller could be thrown in there too, even Chris Claremont, kind of, there was a sea change in comic book writing. But I would say these guys that we mentioned were the ones that really deconstructed the superhero genre and uh, exposed it, some of its lies for what they are, or its fallacies, and kind of brought about a darker age, or what Paul Levitz calls the dark age of comics. Yes. So I guess that pretty much wraps up our British Invasion podcast. Unless you have something more to add, Chris?
1: No, no. I think uh, I think we uh, think we did a uh, fairly uh, decent coverage for the uh, the top several uh, creatives.
0: Yeah, uh, if you're interested in reading any of these books, of course, go find them. Go check them out. They're great. Uh, most of them are in print. Most of them are in print, and some of them, even if they are in single comics, they can be bought really cheap. You'd be surprised. Unfortunately, the, most of them are not digital. or Some of them are, some of them aren't. Uh, mm-hmm. DC's digital really it's needs to s- get to sporadic work.
1: sporadic at best. Yes. Yeah,
0: it really is. It's a mystery. But, uh, it, I you know a lot of these are recommended highly. A lot of them, if you haven't read them, like Watchmen, you need to turn off this podcast and go get a copy right now because that's probably uh, one of the most important comic books to come out in the 20th century. Um,
1: I I will add that it uh, I read that in the mid 90s when comics were already getting getting kind of dark mm-hmm. and it didn't have the same effect on me as I hoped
0: it would. Yeah. Uh, you- you know, the Watchmen, which is a discussion to be had in its own, it, it's certainly a, really a commentary on the 80s. Uh, you know, you got the perpetual Nixon, you've got, like, this Cold War hovering over. Uh, without that there, it sort of does lose some of its contextual...
1: Yeah, uh, you need to be in the gestalt of it to, I think, fully uh, appreciate and embrace it. But it's still a fantastic
0: story. It, you know, still the, the comic within a comic and what it says about... Uh, Golden Age, Silver Age, Modern Age, or whatever, however you want to cut it up. Uh, he handles all that stuff very well. We're kind of like alluding to things. I don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't read it, but really, j- just go read it. It's uh, Yes. Stop. No reason to talk about it when you could be beating about it. Yes. Uh, anyway, for Weird Comics History, I am Reggie. And I'm Chris. And uh, you can contact me at Twitter, at uh, ReggieReggie. You can contact Chris on Twitter as well. I'm at Ace Comics on Twitter. And don't forget to read Chris's blog. Chris is on infra-earth.blogspot.com. Uh, Last uh, This week he ran a... Well, actually, by the time you hear it, it'll be last week he ran a uh, review of Man of Steel number 1, which tied in lovely with our discussion last week about uh, Marvel buying DC Comics characters. So uh, make sure to look at it every day. He's got reviews going up every day, and they are fantastic. And if you want to write to us uh, with hate mail or corrections or suggestions or whatever you like, you can write this podcast at Weird Science DC Comics at Gmail.com. Um, are we good? I think we're good. All right, we'll wrap it up. This has been Weird Comics History. Thanks for listening. Thank you.